Now, last week we started this series and talking about peace and how wisdom brings about peace and goodness in our relational worlds. That wisdom isn't about knowledge and IQ and being smart, but rather it is about the way you and I relate to other people, to God and to others. The way you and I get that wisdom is by being in relationship with the personification of wisdom, Jesus Christ, getting him in your life. Today, we're going to take a look at a class of people that my guess is that's in your world. Those people who push your hot button. One of the amazing things about people in our world, I think, is how quickly they can turn us from happy to mad. There are some people, are there not, in our relational world that in about 1.2 seconds, they can turn you from happy to frustrated to mad. Why? Because they know (laughs) your hot buttons, okay? My wife's hot button is one word, Lord. Remember that last week I talked about when I was growing up? Hey, Abraham called Sarah Lord. So I told Cheryl, I said, Cheryl, you need to call me Lord. And she said over my dead body. That is a hot button word for her. If you're going to have healthy relationships where there is peace and goodness, you need to know how to deal with anger. And so I want to start off by giving you some facts about anger. The average woman loses their temper about three times a week. The average man loses his temper about six times a week. Women get angry more often at people, and men get angry more often at things. I'm always getting mad at my computer, and Dennis comes in, he says, George, it's operator air, right? But I get mad at things. Women are more verbal with their anger and men are more physical. Now this one may surprise you. Single adults express anger twice as often as married. That's interesting. This will not surprise you. The place that we express anger the most is in the home. Because we oftentimes get angry with those that we know the best versus a stranger. We get angry at those people that we love the most. And that is because they have the greatest opportunity to hurt us. Dr. S.I. McMillan did a study and he discovered that there are 51 different illnesses that are directly related to anger. That is why the proctologists know that angry, anger is a pain in the butt, right? Can I say butt in church? Well, I just did, so I guess you can, okay? Now, you've heard me say this before. To dwell above with those we love, oh, that would be glory. To dwell below with those we know, well, that's just a different story, isn't it, okay? I also want you to know that anger is not always inappropriate. Uncontrolled anger is always wrong, but anger is not always wrong. In fact, anger is an evidence, is evidence of love. 
If someone tries to hurt my family, I'm going to get angry. That's appropriate. If I didn't get angry, then I would be apathetic towards my family. And so there are things that we ought to get angry about. Folks, I get angry at injustices in the world. Don't you? I get angry at greed and racism. I get angry at hunger and homelessness. It is a major cause, a signature item for LifePoint. Anger is evidence of love. In fact, the only reason that you and I can have have anger is because we are in the Im, made in the image of God. And the Bible says that God gets angry. In fact, 375 times in the Bible, it says that God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, gets angry. And so there is a righteous anger and there is an unrighteous anger. In fact, Ephesians 4, 26 kind of shows this. It says, when you get angry, do not sin. Which implies that there is a righteous type of anger and there is an unrighteous type of anger. Let me show you some verses out of uh, Proverbs, okay? Proverbs 25, verse 28. If you cannot control your anger, you are as helpless as a city without walls, open to attack. You know what Solomon is saying there? He's saying that people can manipulate you. When you say to someone who's kind of ticking you off, pushing your hot button, you make me so mad. Do you know what you're admitting? You're admitting that they have control over you. Take a look at Proverbs 12, 16. A fool is quick-tempered, but a wise person stays calm when insulted. Last week I made this, uh, had you write this down. Wisdom is the art of knowing what to overlook. Proverbs 16, 32. It is better to be patient than powerful. It is better to have self-control than to conquer a city. It is more important that you and I control our emotions than it is to become president of the United States. And it would be good that both of those would be together. Don't take that the wrong way. Now, the fact is, anger is a learned response. You learned it from somebody. Maybe from your parents, maybe from a TV show, or maybe some other place. Anger is a learned response. The good news about that fact is this, that it can be unlearned. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to do two things. First, I want you to know the different ways that people express anger towards you. Because not all anger is a volcano. And then I want us to take a look at some biblical principles out of the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs is one of the five wisdom books of the Old Testament. It was written mostly by Solomon. Hezekiah came along later and compiled some more of Solomon's wise sayings. But there are a couple of other authors at the end of the book, Lemuel and Agar. And they are authors of the book of wisdom, or the book of Proverbs. And the primary purpose of the book of Proverbs is to teach wisdom. And wisdom, like I said, isn't about knowledge or IQ, it is about relating. 
And wisdom starts by first fearing God, by embracing who he is through his son, Jesus Christ. And as you and I have wisdom, especially from the book of wisdom, like Proverbs, we begin to have peace and goodness in our relationships. But first, the ways that we express anger in relationships. The first one is this. It's the machine gun approach. These are people that just let you have it. They just mow you down. You you know that they are mad at you because they are very expressive. They cuss, they yell, they throw things, they hit, they, they fly off the handle. They are exploders. Some of us are old enough to remember Woody Hayes, the coach of the Ohio State football team. In 1978 at the Gator Bowl, the opposing team intercepted one of their passes. And this player did that right by Woody Hayes, and Woody Hayes just smacked him across the head. Hit him. And guess what? He had to immediately resign uh, for over one moment of uncontrolled anger. These kinds of people you hear about in the news all the time. Now, a biblical example of this is Cain. Take a look at Genesis 5, verse 4. Cain became furious, and he scowled in anger. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Will you circle the word attacked? This is the first form of anger. And Midland and Odessa just experienced this yesterday. This is major. And so I want us to take out some time and I want us to pray for the people in Midland and Odessa that experienced uncontrolled anger. And as a result, some people's lives were taken. So let's pray for them because that's the appropriate thing for us to do. Lord, we come before you now. And if anything that amplifies this subject matter, it is what has happened in Midland and Odessa with five families losing loved ones and 20-some others wounded and injured. And God, we would ask you, God, that you would be a God of comfort for those who have lost different family members, that you would walk with them, God, as they begin this journey called grief. God, we lift up also those who are injured. We ask you that you would bring healing and health back into their bodies. God, we pray for both of those communities that you would bring healing to them. We thank you for those who uh, are in authority, God. Give them wisdom to navigate and to discover, Lord, those things that lead to such violent expressions of anger. And so, God, do a work. We look to you to do these things. We trust in you, God. Teach us. In your son's precious name we pray, amen. And so there is the machine gun approach. Then there is the mute approach. 
The mute approach is the exact opposite of the machine gun. Instead of blowing up, they clam up. They don't get violent, they get silent. Mutes are ones who hold it in. They have this crockpot type of anger. It stews and simmers and comes to a slow burn. Mutes tend to swallow their anger. And guess what keeps the score? Their stomach, okay? Because if you don't talk it out, it will, you will work it out some way, somehow. Now, a good example of this is Jeremiah. Jeremiah is referred to as the weeping prophet. He cried all the time. Folks, he was a cry baby, okay? And Jeremiah 15, it says this, I stayed by myself and was filled with anger. Why do I keep on suffering? Why are my wounds incurable? Why won't they heal? Let me ask you this question. Are you holding on to any unexpressed anger? When you say something like, well, that just burns me up. Guess what? It is. The third kind of anger is what I call the martyr. Martyr are, uh, martyrs are pros at throwing pity parties. They invite others to a pity party, but guess what? They're the only ones that show up. Martyrs are always passive. They, they're passive about their anger, about those who have hurt them. When an angry person hurts a, a martyr, oftentimes, instead of blaming that other person, guess what? They blame themselves. What did I do wrong? If you walk around and you say to yourself, I should, I ought to, I have to, I must, and you're always shouldering, the, the things that are going on in your relationships, blaming yourself, more than likely, you are a martyr because martyrs blame themselves. Now, a biblical example of this is the older brother in the story of the prodigal son. Remember that story? The prodigal son, the younger one, goes off and he wastes his dad's inheritance, okay? He repents. He comes back and his dad throws him a party. And the older brother is ticked. He's a martyr and he won't come in and celebrate the fact that his brother has returned. He thinks, you know what? I'm the good son. I didn't waste your stuff. Take a look at Luke 15, 28. The elder son was so angry he could not go in, that is to the party. So his father went out and pleaded with him. Do you have anybody in your family like that? Where you have to plead with them? Where you have to coax them? Where you have to pamper them? They make everybody miserable, don't they? That's the martyr. The fourth kind of anger is the manipulator. And their motto is this, don't get mad, get even. Manipulators never tell you to your face that you have hurt them, that they're angry with you. But they will express it in subtle, sly, sarcastic, and most of the time through jokes. They never flat out tell you this but they'll kind of get you through a joke. You know what I'm talking about? And then they'll, you'll kind of get something and 
They'll say, oh, it's just joking. Can't you take a joke? But in reality, they weren't joking. Now, religious people are really good at this. Oh, man, they are really good at this. They like to couch their anger in spiritual terms. Like, my heart is grieving. What does that mean? It means that you ticked me off. Well, why didn't you just say that, okay? Well, bless your little heart. What does that mean? Absolutely nothing. It's just a subtle way of stabbing you in the back. They are the manipulators. And a biblical example of this are the Pharisees in Jesus' day. Take a look at Luke chapter 6, verse 11. But they were furious and began to plot with each other what they might do to Jesus. Now, all four of these ways, the machine gun, the mute, the, 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 the martyr, the manipulator, are all learned responses to anger. The good news, like I said, is that those ways can be unlearned. None of those ways are healthy ways. And so, praise God that they can be unlearned. So what I want to do the remainder of our time is I want to talk about how you and I disarm those people through those various forms of anger that like to push our hut button. How do you deal with those kinds of things? How do you deal with your own anger so that you don't get angry at them as they seek to push your hot button? Today, out of the book of Proverbs, we're going to take a look at five things. The first thing that the book of Proverbs tells us again and again and again is that you and I must first calculate the cost of anger. Before you get mad, you've got to calculate the cost of anger because it may not be worth paying for. If you realize the cost, guess what? You might respond differently. And the Bible is clear about this. Like I said, it's clear about this over and over and over again. Take a look at Proverbs 29, 22. An angry person causes trouble, and a person with a quick temper sins a lot. Will you circle the word trouble? What kind of trouble? Circle the words on your outline. And I hope you're taking good notes, because this is not just for us. We need to help other people, okay? Circle the word argument. In Proverbs 15, 18, hot tempers cause arguments. Circle the word mistakes. Look at Proverbs 14, 29. Anger causes mistakes. Proverbs 14, 17. People with hot tempers do foolish things. So let me summarize this. Let me summarize the cost of anger. Will you write this down? You always lose when you lose your temper. You always lose. You always lose respect. You always lose the love of family. You always lose your job. You always lose your health. You lose. You may be tempted, maybe as a parent or as a partner or as a person, a coach or a supervisor to get angry so that you get the right result out of the people that you are with but can I encourage you, don't, don't do it. 
Because in the short run, you might get what you want, but in the long run, guess what? You lose. It produces more anger, more apathy, and more alienation. I mean, how many stories have you heard of kids being alienated from their parents because of their anger? Anger destroys relationships faster than almost anything else. And so when someone is pushing your hot button, you got to ask yourself, what am I going to lose? Proverbs 14, 29, those who control their anger have great understanding. Those with a hasty temper make mistakes. And so you calculate. The second thing that the book of Proverbs teaches is that you look past their words to their pain. Now, I mentioned this last week. You look at the why of what they are saying. Take a look at Proverbs 19, verse 11. A man's wisdom gives him patience. It is to his glory to overlook an offense. You see, it's wise if you don't listen just to the words of what someone is saying. But rather you look behind the words to the pain that more than likely is going on. And what enables a person to do that is wisdom. And what wisdom gives you and I is patience. And patience oftentimes results in understanding. You heard me say last week that hurt people hurt people. When people are hurting on the inside, that's because they're hurting. Folks, I've done ministry for 40 plus years, 31 of those right here in Collin County. And I have learned that unkind people are those who very seldom experience kindness in their life. I have discovered that unloving people oftentimes do not feel loved. When someone is rude or bitter or unkind or sarcastic, sarcast, sarcast, well, you know the word, okay? Sarcastic or arrogant or attacking, and they are shouting and yelling at you. What they are really shouting and yelling is, I need massive doses of love. Because I have discovered that people who feel loved and are secure in that love typically are gracious and they're generous to other people. But when people are mean and cranky, what they are saying is I am in pain and I need you to help me. That's why I want to encourage you, take good notes. You see, it's at that point in your relationship with that person expressing that anger in whatever way that they are expressing it that you have to make a decision. Are you going to overcome evil with good or are you going to retaliate? Now understand something. If you choose to retaliate, you will lower yourself to their level. 
But if you respond in love and in kindness, it will work to your advantage. It will give you leverage. For what? For understanding. So that there isn't further alienation. Edwin Markham, a poet in the last 18th century or 1800s or 19, and the beginning of the 1900s wrote this. They drew a circle to shut me out. Heretic, rebel, a thing to flout. But love and I had the wit to win. We drew a circle that took them in. I see way too many circles in America, don't you? Way too many. Will you resolve this to not allow anyone to have the satisfaction to making you their enemy by them getting you angry at them? They may hate you, but don't you hate them. Because if you don't, you have the leverage. You can gain understanding. And you can bring reconciliation, which we will talk about next week. The third thing is this. You think before reacting. Now this is huge. When someone starts to irritate you, whether it is visibly or whether it's hidden through manipulation. You gotta think before you react. Take a look at Proverbs 13, verse 16. Sensible people always think before they act. Proverbs 29, 11. A fool gives full vent to anger, but a wise person quietly holds it back. Now, will you underline quietly holds it back? In the Hebrew, it literally means Cool it. So when you are in a situation that's tense and the temperatures are starting to rise, you can say, hey, chill out, man. And that is biblical. (laughs) You can tell yourself that. Hey, I just need to chill out. So what do you do while you're chilling out? You ask yourself three questions. Take good notes. You ask yourself, why... Why am I getting angry? What is it that I want out of this relationship? And how can I get it? And when you ask yourself that last question, how do I get it? Know that the answer is rarely blowing up. So, if you reflect before reacting by asking those three questions, why am I getting angry? Why is it that I'm getting angry? Is they're pushing my hot button? What do I want out of this relationship? How, how can I get that? When you begin to reflect on those three questions, what it does is it enables you to identify the source of the anger. And there is primarily three sources to almost all anger. Will you write these down? Hurt, frustration, and fear. Hurt. When people are irritated, it is due most likely to the fact that they're hurting. When you hit your hammer, when you hit your finger with a hammer, 
It hurts, right? And you get angry. And as Christians, you say, praise the Lord. When people are hurting emotionally, relationally, financially, vocationally, they react because they're hurt. Secondly, frustration. When you get frustrated, you get angry. When you are forced to wait in a line that says 10 items, cash only, and the person ahead of you it has 18 items, and they're using their credit card. You get frustrated. Now, why is it that we get frustrated in these types of situations? You want to know why? Take good notes. Because it's about control. You can't control the situation. And so you get frustrated. And frustration oftentimes leads to anger. How many of us had kids, and when they were, I don't know, six months years old, they screamed their heads off for an hour nonstop. And you thought, I'm going to sell this kid to the lowest bidder. If you have had kids and you haven't thought that thought, you're lying to yourself, okay? Here's the deal. The more of a control freak you are, the more prone you are to frustration. A lot of people, I call it poison. Choose your poison. A lot of people have all kinds of different poison. Some people have lust. Some people have fear or worry or envy. But if you have the poison of control, your main emotion is frustration. And frustration leads to anger. The third one is fear. Whenever we're afraid, whenever we feel threatened, whenever we feel attacked, guess what? We fight back, don't we? You put an animal and you get it in a corner, it will strike at you. And so delay is the antidote to anger because it allows us to reflect on two subject matters, ourselves and on them. As my temperature starts to rise, if I slow things down, I can reflect, why am I getting angry? Oh, uh, am I hurt? Am I frustrated? Or am I fearful? And I can look at them and I can say, why are they getting angry? Are they hurt? Are they frustrated? Are they filled with fear? Delay gives us the opportunity to understand and to understand our boyfriend or our girlfriend, our spouse or our kids or our boss. Now what people don't realize in the way of anger is that anger is contagious. You can catch it just like a cold virus, okay? And so what you want to do is that you want to slow the anger down by just being quiet or being quieter. Have you noticed 
that when you get loud, other people will get louder. Why? Because anger is contagious. Take a look at Proverbs 15, verse 3, or verse 1. A gentle answer quiets anger, but a harsh word stirs it up. What does that mean? It just means by talking more quiet that you will slow down that anger in that relationship. So, whose anger does it ratchet down? It ratchets down yours. And it gives you more time to process. Process what? The very words that you're going to use. Take a look at Proverbs 17, 27. A truly wise person uses fewer words. A person with understanding is even tempered. Well, you circle the phrase, few words. A wise person uses fewer words. Will you write this down? A wise person uses Twitter. Isn't that good? Wise person uses Twitter. Do you realize that the average man speaks about 25,000 words a day? The average woman speaks about 30,000 words a day. That is why when the husband comes home, he has to listen to 5,000 words, okay? I was with a guy, husband, I says, are, are, are you ever upset that your wife always has the last word? And he says, no, I'm glad when she gets to it. <laughs> now, no emails, control yourselves, okay? Number four, which that leads right into this, and that is this, you gotta ask for God's help. Take a look at Psalms 141, another book of wisdom, by the way. Verse three, Lord help, me, Lord, help me control my tongue. Help me to be careful about what I say. Folks, our life is like a tube of toothpaste, okay? You don't know what's on the inside until you squeeze it. And whatever is on the inside, guess what? It comes out. Now, we don't like to admit that, do we? We come along, and when we say something that we shouldn't have said, what, what do we say? Well, I just didn't know where that came from. Oh, yeah, you do. <laughs> it came from your heart. It came from inside of you. And so the key to anger management is a changed heart. Think about this. If you have a bad well, Dennis is putting a pond on his property, okay? Big one, I don't know, quarter acre pond, and it's starting to fill up with water. But if you have a well that is filled with dirty water, you don't change the pump. You gotta clean out the water and you gotta replace it with, uh, with pure water. How do you do that in a person? By accepting wisdom into your life. And remember, wisdom is relating. And it first starts with relating to God through Jesus Christ by inviting Christ into your life. When you invite Christ into your life, and I don't have time to explain all this, but you get 
the Holy Spirit. God invades your life. When I ask Christ into my life, I don't know, 45 years ago, one of the first things that God began to change in me was my tongue. In fact, it shocked me. I was raised in a family with a dad who was a sailor. And you know sailors know how to cuss and drink. Man, I tell you, they know how to cuss and drink. And so I learned from my mom or my dad how to cuss and drink. And yet when I invited Christ into my life, I don't know, it was about three weeks had gone by, and I thought, oh my goodness. I haven't said a cuss word in three weeks. There is a God that is awesome. Why is that? Because God takes away the bad water and he brings in the good through his Holy Spirit. In Galatians 5.11, it says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, uh, fruit, or faithfulness, good, gentleness, and self-control. I have found this, that when I am filled with myself, almost anything will tick me off. But when I am filled with God's Spirit, I experience love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, uh, gentleness, and self-control. And so when you are in those tough situations where someone is pushing their hot button through their particularly their particular uh, anger method, you got to pray, Lord, help me. Now let me let you in on a little dirty secret. In America, one in four wives are physically abused. One in nine husbands are physically abused because of uncontrolled anger. That's unacceptable. Last year in America, 10 million kids were abused by their parents. Right now in Collin County, there are almost 3,800 cases pending on various kinds of domestic abuse. That is unacceptable. I want you to know something. That if you have been abused, God is sorry and I'm sorry. But can I ask you to get help? In fact, for the abused and the abuser, the antidote really is the same and that is humility. Humility to open up and say, God, I need help. God, I need help from other people. You see, the problem is that if you and I can't humble ourselves and say, I need some help, this is not good, then that situation is out of control. And yet what I have seen in 40 years of ministry, 31 right here at LifePoint, is that those who invite Christ in their life, wisdom itself, you cannot invite someone as big as God in your life and things not begin to change. And I've seen hundreds of lives changed as a result of that. Now, how is that possible? How is it possible 
by inviting wisdom, Jesus, into our life that we begin to experience peace and goodness in our life. That leads to the fifth one. And that is this, when you ask Christ into your life, he begins to change your identity. I must base my identity in Christ, the one who loves me unconditionally, the one who says, you're mine, you're valuable, I have a purpose for your life. If you try to build your identity on anything else other than Jesus Christ, you are going to struggle with insecurity, really your whole life. And that, and, that, and that security that you look to may be your job, it may be another person, it, it may be your spouse, it may be being popular or possessions. But if you're not looking to Jesus Christ, you're going to live most of your life insecure. And insecurity is a major root of anger. And so until you start feeling secure in Christ, people are going to have the ability push your hot button. But when you know who you are and whose you are, they can't get to you. So I need to base my identity in Christ. Because if I don't, I'll care more about what you think, your opinions, and your approval. And that will get to me. Look at Proverbs 29, 25. The fear of human opinion disables you, but trusting in God protects you from that. Now, how does God do all this stuff? As he changes my heart and my identity. And one of the things that begins to change as you have a changed heart and a new identity, is your tongue. It's seen through your speech. You see, a negative tongue reveals a fearful heart. A boasting tongue reveals an insecure heart. An overreacting tongue reveals an unsettled heart. A judgmental tongue reveals a guilty heart. A critical tongue reveals a bitter heart. A filthy tongue reveals an impure heart. On the other hand, a person who has wisdom residing within and is having their heart changed with a new identity will have an encouraging tongue, and that reveals a happy heart, and a gentle tongue, which reveals a loving heart, and a controlled tongue, which reveals a peaceful heart. And so, to get us beyond anger in our own life, you and I need wisdom. We need Jesus Christ in our life. And we need to begin focusing ourselves on him. And as we do that, he will heal our hurts. And he will heal our frustrations. And he will heal our fears. So that the spirit can move in us and through us.
That is what the book of Proverbs teaches us. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you that you are the antidote to all our relational problems. That you are the wisdom of the ages. And that you have revealed yourself to us through your son, Jesus Christ. And that you want us to relate to him. To you through him. In a personal way. And that doesn't come about through knowledge. About who he is and when he was born. How old he is and how he died. Comes as we revere and respect him. And we invite him into our world. Have you done that, church, this morning? As you look at your relational world, is it filled with peace? Or is it filled with tension and stress and anxiety and fear and hurt? Are your relationships good? And are they prospering? Is it possible that if they're not, you've had Christ in your head, but you haven't dropped him into your heart? You know a lot of things about him, but you haven't said yes to Jesus Christ. He won't barge his way into your life. He stands at the door and he knocks. And you have to open it. So will you do that if you haven't? Will you just say, Christ, right now I admit that I've known a lot of things about you, but I, didn't have, but I don't know you. And there's a lot of things, God, that I've done wrong, a lot of things that I've said that have been hurtful. But right now, God, I give those to you. And I invite you into my life. And I ask you to give me a new heart and begin changing my identity, helping me to know how you see me and who I am. Because God, I need help. And so God, I commit myself to you. And if you prayed that prayer, like I did 45 some years ago, God heard you. And he's come into your life. Can I encourage you to begin looking for fruit? Because it'll start showing up as you start focusing in on what Christ has for you. Would you let me know? I couldn't think of anything more exciting from you than a note saying, George, I asked Christ into my life. I'd love to send you some literature to help you know what you need to do from this point forward. So just take the communication card, write it, write your name down, check the appropriate box, give me your email, and we'll get that literature to you. Lord, we look to you. We live in a 
a world that is just filled with so much anger and all kinds of different expressions, God. Give us wisdom, God, on how to handle it and how to manage it for your glory and for our good. In your son's name we pray, amen.